John chapter 1, I'm sorry, 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 to 6 is what we're going to be looking at tonight. And uh, it deals with one of the, I think, Harriet, can you turn me down just a tiny bit? I, uh, one of the, one of the, I feel like the gut-wrenching parts of walking as a believer, one of the hard things is how do we relate to our sin? It's, I say it's one of the, the gut-wrenching things because those of us who have been believers for very long know what it's like to sin and wonder, what am I supposed to do with this? Maybe, there, maybe you look back on a season of life and you realize there was a pattern of sin that you had fallen into and just you, maybe you were blind to it or maybe, and then somebody helped you see it, or maybe you knew what the sin was, but you felt stuck there. And you go, what am I supposed to do? Am I even a Christian? First John chapter 2 kind of talks about that with us tonight. Talking about like what is a believer's relationship to sin? What kind of assurance do, do we have? But also, what does it mean for God to call us out of our sin and away from our sin? Because we, as a, what, that kind of gut-wrenching thing I'm talking about is those, those moments where you go, I know this is not what God called me to do. I know that this is sin and that this is what God has said that is not for believers to fall into. And it's a pattern of sin in my life. And so how do I, how do I think about that? How do I relate to my own sin in my walk with Jesus? So 1 John chapter 2, verses 1-6. to I'm going through all six of these verses because I think it holds together as one paragraph. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Verse 3, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Let's pray. God, as we open your word, help us to hear clearly how you call us to Follow Jesus in regards to our sin. In Jesus' name, amen. I was explaining kind of some of the gut-wrenching part of it. There are some who claim to want to follow Christ and say, oh, this isn't a sin and it's not a big deal. And I kind of breezed past that. But like, there are those two ways for somebody who says that they are in Christ and want to follow Jesus. We can feel guilty and go, what am I supposed to do? Am I even a Christian? Or we can be like the false teachers in the day. Remember, if you've been here in the weeks past, I was explaining that the false teachers at the time, they would come in and say, it doesn't matter what you do in your physical body because the physical body, there's the separation and only the spiritual matters anyway. And so they were saying, sin doesn't matter. It doesn't take a big leap for us to think of movements, churches, leaders, people that say you can follow Jesus and that sin doesn't matter. That's true in our day too. We know that kind of thing. 
And so this passage becomes relevant when we realize when this first sentence, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. He is saying the Christian life doesn't allow us to shrug our shoulders and ignore our sin. So what do we do? What do we do? What I, what I want to show you tonight is that here God calls us and says that our relationship to our sin should be a relationship through Jesus. I want to show you tonight the two ways, two ways that we in our relationship to our sin uh, are, uh, come through Jesus. First, we relate through Jesus who is our advocate. Notice in, there in the end of verse 1, but if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Here, when John is saying, don't listen to the false teachers that say sexual sin isn't a problem. Don't listen to the teachers that say greed isn't a problem. Don't listen to the teachers that say drunkenness and addiction and those kinds of things are not a problem. John is saying, do not listen to them, my dear children. I write this to you so that you would know you are called out of sin. He says, but okay, let's acknowledge the fact that but if anybody does sin, and whether it's on Sunday night or on Wednesday night or on Sunday morning, I try to expand our and remind ourselves of what, when the Bible has lists of sin, it lists things like greed and pride and selfishness and unkindness. It talks about uh, love being patient and kind and not keeping records of wrongs. Sin in the Bible includes things like bitterness. It includes it's a much bigger thing than like a, we don't smoke or chew or you know, go with those who do. You remember the old sayings? You know, we don't dance, we don't play cards, those kind of things. Uh, like the Bible's definition of sin is way beyond. Like the Bible's definition of sin goes deep down to the heart. Bitterness, pride, uh, anger, rage, malice. The Bible's definition of sin is not just sexual sin or homosexuality, but also lust in the mind and in the heart. The Bible's definition of sin is way bigger than our definition of sin if we got to make it ourselves. And John says, but if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. So here, this first, our relationship to our sin is not that we stand on our own, but that Jesus Himself, stand, who is righteous, that, there's that line, the righteous one, is an advocate on our behalf with the Father. So that when we relate to our sin, we are relating to our sin through Jesus who is advocating for the Father. But it gets better. I want to show you here. It gets better. We relate through Jesus. Look at this. He says, He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Your translation might say propitiation. I don't know about you, but outside of the Bible, I never use the word propitiation. But it is one of the great words of the Bible. Atoning sacrifice is a, a, a good translation. And Jerry Bridges, I think, gives the best explanation of what that word propitiation means. And propitiation is a word that was used for a sacrifice in place of another person. But it's not just of a sacrifice, but it's a sacrifice that does something. And the, the picture that Jerry Bridges gives in his book... Um, Don't remember the name of the book, but it's okay. 
uh, in, but Jerry Bridges gives the explanation, the explanation that propitiation, it's the image of a cup that is then drunk to its bottom and then completely wiped out so there's nothing left. An atoning sacrifice absorbs all of the wrath of God, empties the cup, cleans it out, and says there's nothing left. So when John here says, we, if anybody does sin, you have an advocate who is the propitiation for our sin. He is saying, Jesus took the cup of God's wrath and drank it all, all the way to the bottom. Wiped it out so there's nothing left. Jesus is not just a sacrifice that's going to last for the next few days till my next sin. Jesus is a sacrifice that's going to last for this next year until I get to confess again. John says, we have an advocate who has absorbed and taken all of the punishment for our sin. And so, John's encouragement first is that if anybody does sin, we, we relate as somebody who's, who's uh, been completely cleared and delivered from that sin. So if you struggle with pride, with rage, with impatience, with keeping records of wrong, with bitterness, if you keep if you struggle with lust, if you struggle with a harsh tongue, if you, if, you struggle with, if you struggle with sin, John says, if you are in Christ, you have an advocate who says, I already took it all. I took all of it for you. And then John, John expands it a little bit further. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. I think what he's saying there is that Jesus' sacrifice was enough to cover the sins of the world. It doesn't mean that every person is going to be saved, but Jesus' sacrifice is enough. And so, the first way that we relate to our sin is that we relate as people who have been completely cleared, forgiven, and we now have an advocate who is standing by the Father on our behalf reminding Him, there's nothing left. The cup is empty. The wrath is gone. And so, right now, wherever you are, whatever, I tried to list a comprehensive list of, of sins. But maybe there's some other sin. Whatever sin it is that you struggle with, do you relate to that sin through Jesus? Do you, do you relate to that sin through Jesus? Do you think I have an advocate with the Father when I'm harsh, when I'm angry, when I'm proud, when I'm greedy, when I'm worried, when I'm mean, when I'm lustful, when I'm whatever that list. Do you say I have an advocate with the Father? The wrath of God is gone. The, the call in this passage is speak this to yourself, reminding yourself I have an advocate with the Father. Second way we relate to our sin from this passage is we follow Jesus out of and away from our sin. So look at verses three to, four, three to six. He's already said, if we do sin, we have an advocate. But this is where he says, if we follow Jesus out of and away from our sin, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, 
love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in Him. Whoever claims to live in Him must live as Jesus did. Here, John, here John says that the Christian life built on forgiveness is a call out of our sin to follow Jesus. And we should never lower that standard. But he's already said we have an advocate. Our sin has been atoned for. And so now, out of that, we keep His commandments. Out of that, now, we live in the truth. He says, whoever says, I know God, I'm in Christ, but doesn't do what He commands is a liar and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys His word, love for God is truly made complete. In them. The grounds of our salvation is not our obedience. But it is the result of our salvation. It is the result of our salvation. That somebody who's, he, John is just clear. If somebody says, I know God. I'm in Christ. I've been delivered from my sin. I've been raised from the dead. I've been set free. I have new desires in my heart. But then continues to live in that old way. It's clear that John is speaking of, way, of a pattern of life, not instances of sin it's clear that he's not saying if you have any kinds of sin any moments of sin but any sinful lifestyle that says i do not care about the commandments of god i'm not going to obey him that is the kind of lifestyle of sin that explains it away john says that he, that we can with our lives Show that we are liars. Verse 5, he uses the word keeper. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God, this, we keep his commandment, he keep his word. And then in verse 6, he says, whoever claims to live in him ought to walk the way Jesus did. All of this is a call, is that if we have an advocate who has cleared us of all sin, God is now calling us to follow him out of our sin and in live like Jesus. There's one writer, I think her name is Karen Jobes, who says that the, the center of First John is the tests of life. Like, how do you know if you have life? The mistake that I made as a younger Christian, and I think the mistake we can easily make, is we can start to think of the tests of life as the means of life. We can, we can think of uh, we can think of the, the evidence that we're a Christian starts to become the means of becoming a Christian. And so we start to either think, sometimes say, or share with others that the way to become a Christian is to kind of live like Jesus. But John says, no, those that are in Jesus have had their sins atoned for are the ones that are called to follow Jesus. And so the means of having life is to come to Jesus, and, but then to say, I'm going to follow Jesus out of my sin. So that there, there have been seasons of my life very dominated by anger. And when it became clear this is a, a sin in my life, then the call is to say, okay, I'm going to follow Jesus out of that. With the assurance that I have an advocate who has atoned for all of my sin. So that when you and I look at our lives and realize in our marriage, maybe, there, we use words that are hurtful. We treat each other badly. 
when the Lord makes that clear, the, the call is to say, because you have been forgiven and cleansed, let's follow Jesus in speaking into our spouse like he does, like he speaks to his bride. But we have to always be careful we don't reverse it. We have to always be careful that we don't reverse it so that if we look at our lives and say, God, I am not sure what this sin says about me. The answer is not try harder to staple on fruit to your lies. It's go to Jesus to be cleared, to be atoned for, to have Him be your advocate, and then begin to follow Him. There was a guy a few years back who went on a murder spree in Atlanta trying to kill all of the sources of his temptation. When the problem is, what he needed was to be saved. Not to make sure that anybody that, uh, that gives him any kind of temptation is dead, but that his dead heart would come to life. That is, the, that is like the, the, the danger as we read 1 John chapter 2. Is to begin to think, I am supposed to, I want to, I want to not be a liar. I want to live like Jesus did. The answer is in verses 1 and 2. If anybody sins, we have somebody who can deliver us from all of our sin. That is the answer to this. A few years ago, well, a few years ago, I say that about everything, 10 years ago or so, I, I remember sitting down with my pastor, and he was really good at asking questions that would just expose my heart. And I would think about it for days, and I would realize what a sinner I was, how selfish I was. And he would just... He, but he would always point me back to verses 1 and 2. I have an advocate. I have somebody, an atoning sacrifice for my sin. But I remember in one conversation where I said, John, when I look at my life, I can't think of any good reason to say that I'm a Christian. I see so much sin, so much selfishness, so much pride, so many mistakes. John, I see no fruit in my life that would tell me that I'm a Christian. Except that I have Jesus. It's the only... Like the, I was like, John, I want there to be fruit. I don't want to be like this. I don't want to be a sinner. I, I, don't, I don't want to be so selfish and so proud. And I was like, and so like all I've got is Jesus, John. And John goes, and that is the only reason I have any confidence that you're a Christian. It's not because of anything that you did. It's that you know when you look at yourself, you cannot be saved. But when you look at Jesus, you see salvation. I think that, John, I think that here in 1 John, the Apostle John, in his wise old age, looks at believers like you and me and says, if you have sin, you have an atoning sacrifice. And now follow Him. And then he just keeps saying, you have an advocate and he's now calling you to follow him out of sin. And so maybe if you look at your life today and you go, ah, oh, I don't know. I just, I feel, the, I feel the guilt. I feel the guilt as a husband, as a wife, as a parent, as a grandparent. I feel the, I feel the guilt as a deacon. I feel the guilt as a, as a worker. I feel the guilt of all of the stuff from the past. The grounds of our salvation is not what we do. 
It is Jesus, the righteous one, who stands as our advocate. And that is the grounds for following him out of sin. So yes, I want to put to death those temptations in my life. There's a wallpaper on my phone every time I open it up that's an encouragement to me in an area of my own weakness and my own sin. There are things that we do, but all of them are because we have been delivered, not so we can be delivered. And so the question this passage asks of you and I is, are you walking after Jesus? The righteous one, your advocate. If you have never made Jesus your Lord and Savior, let today be the day. If you have, then in the good news that the righteous one is advocating for you, follow him and say, okay, today is a new day. I might feel the weight of my sin from today or yesterday, but Jesus doesn't. So I'm going to follow him. I'm going to put one foot in front of the other, putting to death my pride and my selfishness. I'm going to put to death my... um, I'm going to put to death my anger, my rage, my bitterness, my sharp tongue, my gossiping. I'm going to put to death my greed, my idolatry. I'm going to put to death my desire for control because I have an advocate who is standing at the right hand of the Father for me and the cup is empty. I get to, I get to walk and follow the one who has done all that for me. Let's pray. And God, I thank you for your word. And I thank you that it sets us free. And I thank you that you, that you are our propitiation, our atoning sacrifice. I pray that that would help us set, set us free to live in the world the way Jesus did. In Jesus' name, amen.